Hi folks, this podcast is recorded in a house with animals, one of whom is very small and very orange and wandering around, and we're recording in the middle of the day, so I cannot guarantee there will be no chicken noises. It's true. The dogs are asleep, though. Um, also, we swear a Do lot. Do we ever. Hi, tiny orange. Please don't love the microphone. Told you. And so yeah, we swear a lot, and we should mention that now, and that the podcast is generally PG thirteen. Although uh, strong light warning for strong language, parental guidance suggested. Blah blah blah. Okay, so that's that. Yay! Welcome to Productivity Alchemy episode ninety six. We are in in the the final five before episode one hundred. Yes, I'm very excited about that. We are also back from China. We are. And I want to say we got next to nothing done while we were in China. Were we supposed to get something done? I mean, we survived high altitude. We did. Uh, You kissed a yak. I kissed a yak. We saw lots of monasteries and we were at Everest. Absurdly old things. We were at Everest Base Camp in Tibet, and I got pictures of the summit of Mount Everest, both at sunset and then sunrise. I'm just going to say it. Everest is not very impressive in person. You know, I I can see that. It's it, The thing is, if it was just like in isolation by itself, you'd be like, wow, that's very impressive. But it's part of a mountain range with like four of the other tallest mountains on Earth. <laughs> so it's like, which one's Everest? That one. Okay, if you say so. Yeah. Uh, and by the time you can see it, you're sort of standing on it. Yeah. And so it's just like it's, that's a pointy bit over there. You say that's Everest, fine. That's I, and that may be the funny thing about it is it's it's so massive that you 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 lose all sense of scale. You're like, oh, that's the summit. And what do you mean? I'm standing on it, and that's the summit way over there. Well, it's just because you're in a mountain range already. You're you're yeah. in the Himalayas, so it's just another mountain over there. And the other thing is that uh, I don't know about the Nepalese side where everybody starts to climb from. Oh, not everybody. Which is probably, you know, maybe it's much more impressive and isolated and you get your Sir Edmund Hillary on. But if mm. you come from the Tibet side, it's... Uh, there's little old ladies driving yaks and people planting crops, so it's not like I am isolated in the middle of nowhere, man versus nature. It's like there's little old lady walking by planting things. Yeah, yeah, and and yelling at yaks who could very easily trample or gore her, but don't. They're afraid of her. Yes. And I think that was there is a power to the little old lady in Tibet that I I don't there's think power I've, to little old ladies ever. Well, there but, are yeah. yes, but here they here is a land where all the women are in charge of one of the more dangerous animals that they raise on farms. The most dangerous animal they raise on farms. About the only animal they raise on farms. Okay, they're sheep and goats, but yeah, the yaks, you know, they kill people. Uh, And it's just like, I I remember watching a young woman just out there yelling at a yak because it was going the wrong way, and it turned around and went, okay, and ran in the pen. Yeah. It was it was a thing. Excuse me, tiny. I, I think it was Terry Pratchett who said that whole economies are based on the lifting power of little old ladies. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. something to be said for it. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, that said, uh, you know what is very impressive about Everest? Uh, what? You can't freaking breathe. No, you can't. Uh, we we spent a lot of time gasping and. Uh, 
if you laid on your because there's like what twenty percent oxygen up there. Uh, Thirty, I think, but no, still. less than that. It, oh it right, was, it was twenty percent where we were in the Valley of Cats, and right, then we right. went up another like three thousand feet. Yeah, uh, you felt like you were. You walked five feet. You started hyperventilating because you couldn't get enough air. If you slept on your side, you felt like one of your lungs was collapsing. It was uh, it was an adventure. I, I didn't have that with the lungs collapsing. What I do remember, though, is that so at the place we stayed at base camp, it's it, a monastery. It was a monastery, and, and we were in a guest house, and it had beds with electric blankets, which was so nice. But you could have lights or electric blankets, not both. Right, and the other thing was they gave you these incredibly thick quilts. Yes. And they were very heavy. And there was this point where, like, I, I we were taking Diamox to help with the altitude. But and, which also makes you gasp like a landed fish. And depending on your metabolism, makes you have to pee a lot. And so the first time we were on Diamox, it was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, the second time, when we were only on it for a couple days, to do the Everest portion, I had to pee like every 30 minutes overnight, every hour, hour and a half, right? And so I just remember like going, I have to pee, and then being exhausted, crawling out from under the blankets. Because the quilts were heavy and right. there was no air. And having to catch my breath before I could put on my shoes, and then having to catch my breath when I sat up from t from putting on my shoes. Oh, yeah. And then, like, walking to the hole in the concrete where you did your business. There was a men's and a women's, but still. Uh, I mean, they were both just holes. Yeah, and having to catch my breath before I went in, not because of the smell, just because I was, uh, there was no so oxygen. So you walked, like, 40 feet, and that's, that's a big deal. That was a big deal, yeah, and then... Take care of your business and step out and catch your breath again. Oh, yeah. You know, but that was also one of the best places in the guest houses to be able to see the stars because there was a light right in the courtyard outside our door. And you, if you looked up, mostly what you saw was light pollution from the light. In the courtyard between the... If you want to go to the bathroom. Yeah. In the courtyard between the bathroom and the main building... There were yaks. There were yaks. There were yaks everywhere, but you could look up and just the most amazing star field. It was, it was incredible. I, I don't know if I ever actually looked up because, uh, there was an extra step for the ladies in mm. the audience, which is they're all squat toilets. Oh, yeah. And getting, squatting and getting up again was exhausting. You had to like lean against the wall and gasp. Mm. God I, forbid you have to do anything more than that. Yes. I I do remember one point in the the guest uh, the guest house we stayed in with the yak herders when we were in the Valley of the Cats had uh, put in uh, or maybe had modernized their their toilet for us a little bit. They had put up two boards over their hole in the ground yes. and uh, plastic sheeting to keep the wind off. And I do remember on at least two occasions being out there holding on to one of the sports, hoping that I didn't asphyxiate or have a coronary while I was taking care of my business. Yes, it's... It's... Yeah. Wow. This was possibly the most physically grueling thing I have done in many, many years as an adult. 
and and our friends Laura and and her fiance Stu, who live in Colorado, were just like, we're going up the mountain now. Do 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 do. And the rest of us are just like, this is very tiring. And Stu, of course, is also an athlete and does like 14k hikes or runs or whatever on the regular. So like, at, at one point, by the way, this is going to be the best story someday. <laughs> Like, someday I'm going to have arthritis, and they're going to be like, well, is it genetic? No, let me tell you about how I got arthritis. Um, at one point, we were crossing a stream covered in snow, and I slipped. And my foot went into snow melt in the Himalayas in about freezing temperatures. And then my hands went in as I lifted myself up. There was no other place to put them. And my gloves were soaked through. I... I, I will point out right now, I did not get frostbite. Or hypothermia. Or hypothermia. I have all of my fingers and toes. That, so so before you panic about that, um, it was a little scary, but I've been trained, okay, if this happens, this is what you do. You get the gloves off because they're soaking wet and there's nothing you can do about that. And keeping them on is not going to help. And you shove your hands into your armpits. And I had spare fingerless gloves. Right, and right. And we... We sort of, and our guides were it. like, "No, no, keep walking, keep walking." And if this happens, and I'm like, "I, I, I know hypothermia. It's cool." I want to say though that my coat, which did touch the water, did not uh, take any any water absorption at all. My jeans didn't, which were theoretically waterproof, but they had absorbed some water, but it didn't get to the the base layer I was wearing underneath it. And my boots, my feet stayed perfectly dry. It was. In in some ways, some people would be like, it's a miracle. I think more it was, I knew what to do and had planned appropriately for the weather. Um, but it, it was a little scary. And someday when, when they're like, Grandpa, why are your hands all gnarled up like that? It's not because I spent years and years working on a keyboard. It's not because we have some hereditary um, uh, arthritis in my family it's because my hands went into a freezing stream of ice melt in the himalayas when i was 48 and that's your story and you're that's my story and i'm sticking to it there you go yeah uh, history is written by the survivors <laughs> they say the winners but really it's the survivors yeah, yeah. so uh that was that was our trip. We survived. Yes. And it was it was an amazing mm -hmm. trip. I am very glad we do it. I feel no urge oh, to do it again. No. Uh, I, I do want to point out where that started was that after I fell in the thing, Stu, here we are at 14,000 feet. Stu came running down the mountain to make sure I was okay and then ran back up to where Laura was <laughs> because he was like, okay, you know what to do. Everything's cool. The rest of us on a 10-degree slope would begin gasping like we were dying. Right. It would take us like an hour to go up, you know. I said there was this Kevin and I. Everybody else, slightly better shape, did better. Uh, Kevin and I, there was a couple points where I was like, I cannot physically do this thing. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm so surprisingly was, comfortable admitting that you know wimping out in the middle of the Himalayas is not that I, bad. I was gonna say we we found our limit, and our limit was probably somewhere around fourteen, fifteen thousand feet above sea level. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not. I I have no. I feel no shame. None. How many people do we know who have found their limit there? <laughs> it's 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 surreal now that we're home, and I'm sitting here looking at a little orange cat and thinking, wow. Uh, a week ago, we were starting the multi-flight, multi-day trip home. Two weeks ago, we were 
driving around Western Tibet looking at some of the most incredible landscapes. And ancient ruins. That no one really knows about yet, because that part of the country is barely open. uh, Western Tibet has a Grand Canyon. Like, it's called the Clay Forest. Yes. It's it's just a Grand Canyon that they put under the Himalayas, so it's even worse. Yeah. And nobody knows it's there. Obviously, the Tibetans know it's there. Presumably, the Chinese know it's there. No one's ever heard of it outside of the country. We're like, if you have a Grand Canyon, you have to tell people. Yeah. It's why does no one? Why is this not on a list of great wonders of the world? Why? We drove around through it. It's you know we were all reduced to just gibbering. And yeah, there there was a point where I, I and I think we have a video of this for the website <laughs> where I just looked and sort of gestured with him. And our our friend Bala is going, yeah, because that's all we could do at that point. And uh, yeah, the other one that pissed me off was uh, the the Great Tonka Scroll. Oh, in in Zinning, yes. Yeah, and this is a man-made wonder of the world. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like 400 artists worked. Is it that many? I thought it was only 100. No, it was like 400. 400. Worked for like 27 years on it. Yeah. It's like a quarter mile long. It, It, every panel details another piece of Tibetan history. So it has... religion or, yeah. Right, so it basically starts... With because the Tibetan Buddhists believe we started as monkeys in trees, yes. and grew and were taught and things like that, and so it starts there. And it's just a tiny, yeah. fiddly detail for two thousand meters, kind of thing, yeah. or however, for, uh, which is more than a quarter mile. That's like a lot. I don't when know you, how it is. A lot, a lot. When you get to the end of it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, by the way, this is the artist who in." Uh, you know, 500, 600 years ago, or whatever it was, probably longer, set the standard sizes for all t- traditional Tibetan artwork and how humans are scaled and all of that. You're just like, it's, it's And it just goes through all these bays that are sort yeah. of uh, rounded, so... So it's, it's just a, one continuous scroll. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all, it's one piece of canvas or whatever, I mean, obviously... Put the, you know, connected places, but you can't see the seams. Yeah, and it's it just bay twice after could, bay. Yeah. It's like walking through a giant sort of amoeba shaped thing, and just mm-hmm. tiny fiddly detail of gods and and dharma protectors and buddhas, and you're just like, uh, this is your, your brain shorts out mm-hmm. very quickly, and you're like. Why have I never heard of this? I, why are people lining up for a million years to see the Mona Lisa, which is a tiny little fiddly piece, little tiny painting, yeah. and the, no one's heard of this thing, and there's like 20 people here on a weekend. I mean, what the hell is Ad, going on? Admittedly, one of those 20 people was a Tibetan monk who was going through and studying everything. Well, y- Right, but still, I yeah. think, well, how come no one knows that there's just a wonder of the world at the top of this smallish museum in Zinning? I don't know. It, yeah. it, it's, I just want to scream and go, people, you need to know this exists. This is a big deal. And yeah, there was a lot of that. Why Why is this? Yeah. We went to a monastery and they're like, yeah, those caves up there are basically where yoga got its start. We're like, what? What? You have yeah. to just tell people that that they did. There's no sign. There's really just yeah. We're in a little cow town in the middle of nowhere, or yak town. Yak town, yeah. 
there are lots of caves. And they're like, yeah, lots of yogis came and meditated up there. That sort of words. Like, what? No, you, you, but, you, you can't. Me. Yeah, you can't just drop that like a bomb, like it's nothing. You're like, oh, you know, when you're standing in a ruin for a monastery for that has had been in use for something like a thousand years or two thousand years or whatever before it. You know, was oh, a bone monastery, monastery, yeah, that was yeah. like 3,000 years old, yeah. And they're just, oh, yeah, this is where you know this happened. And you're just like, time out, you know, my ancestors were busy painting their face blue and throwing their shit at each other, and you're telling me you had a complex religion and money system, and it's all just kind of mind blowing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and 3,000 years isn't really that long, all things considered. The pyramids were built before then, but it's like, I don't know, maybe I'll do that when I stand next to the pyramids too, but it was all just kind of, it, it was yeah. just so casual. I was, I was going to say, you have a you have a thing where certain finite time certain timelines just cease meaning and it's all basically the same age uh yes uh, anything over 400 years old happened at the same time as far right. as i'm concerned which right. means that my view of history is basically this kind of mess of oh uh columbus vikings jesus rome <laughs> aztecs the anasazi yeah, yeah. Cro-Magnons, Neanderthals, everything is just 400 years ago. It, that, and, that is sort of my cutoff for it was all a really long time ago. Yeah, and we've talked about why that is, you and I, is you were, you grew up in a very young state. Yes, I grew up mostly in Oregon and partly in Arizona, and Arizona has some Anasazi ruins that are very nice, but right. um, uh, Oregon has, I mean... <laughs> the city I grew up in was founded in like 1917 or something. Right. And I come out, and, and the East Coast just continually wigs me out because I'm <laughs> like, wait, that we just crossed the Appomattox. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, no, I've read about that. A thing happened there. Yeah. yeah. There's factories along it. Well, they got to go somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm like, but it. But there's there's sign there there are historical markers in town that are pre-revolutionary. Oh, I mean, not the markers themselves, but that something pre-revolutionary, Re- revolutionary war happened, and she just every time she goes by, every so often just registers. She's like, Bleh. I mean, the town was founded in like what seventeen ninety three or some crap. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, all just madness. Anyway, anyway. um. So that's we we spent a lot of time being wowed and having our minds blown and eating yak. Lots of yak. Uh not a fan of yak, I got to say. I'm sure there are ways that I would enjoy yak, but yak is a very tough meat. It the fat does not marble, it sits on top because they need the the yeah. protection. So when when we were able tough. to get lamb. When yes. We were able to get lamb. It, it was, was much better. Yeah. yeah. Sorry for talking over you, by the way. It's okay. It's yeah. fine. We're. It's all good. Anyway, so anyway. we should probably. This is like a letter show. This is a letter show, and uh, we had uh, four or five episodes go live while we were out of country, and I have some comments about those to talk about when we come back right after this. Woo. 
And we are back. The one thing people don't tell you, by the way, is that uh, everybody talks about, like, jet lag and how horrible it is. What they don't tell you is that for a big trip like a 12-hour time shift, it lasts for Days. Yeah, I'm exhausted, which is funny because I also have so much hemoglobin right now that I feel like a superhero. I'm like, now I know how Superman felt in the yellow sun of the earth. Because <laughs> sea level, I am like, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, and I'm like that. I, I go out and do yard work for, you know, an hour and I'm like, I am invincible and now I need to sleep for eight hours. Right, right. And the side, the other side effect is I, I had one of my rare... Well, not that rare. Like, my monthly bout of insomnia last night. So, to top off the jet lag, I only got, like, three hours of sleep. But we soldier on. And I have to wake up anyway. I have a job interview in, like, a couple hours. So, we'll see how that goes. All right. So, we have letters from... Let's start with this one from Deborah. Uh, Deborah had to stop the podcast and uh, to comment on something when I heard an unfortunate common misconception. This is from our last letter show. A bit of history. Judaism as practiced today is descended from the religious political group called the Pharisees. I think I might have railed a little bit about the Pharisees at the time. Uh, and all evidence points to Jesus being one and arguing with his peers, which is pretty much what they we did. Uh, providing for the sick and the poor is throughout the Torah and throughout the rabbinic material from the time. There is no judgment or considering who gets the charity or uh, zedakah, that's righteousness. It is even assumed that one will give to an enemy even if one has sworn not to. Uh, the assumption that it is ba that bad luck can happen to anyone for any reason and helping someone survive is obvious behavior. It is also assumed that humans are human, which is why it's a commandment. There are plenty who were and are lax in their observance. The New Testament is no place to learn about Roman era Judaism. All right, truth. truth. I am so I'm chastised. I I I will take that, and what I will do is I will research and be better informed, and try not to rail against Pharisees. When what we mean is the sort of Christian conception of Pharisees, right? You know the yeah. bad dudes that Jesus yelled at, not right. the probably actual historical Pharisees, right? Okay. We stand corrected. We stand corrected, and I would like to apologize to all of our Jewish listeners because obviously that was wrong, and uh, I'm or at very least inaccurate. Inaccurate, yes. and I'm I'm chastised. I'm very chastised. All right, um, from episode ninety of, with Rachel uh, and Rooster Trade was that one? Uh, actually, this is from Star. The episode itself was an interview with Rachel Anson. Uh, talking about travel, I've started using Moleskine Voyager notebooks for travel. They fit in my mini purse, uh, Bagalini RFID Journey Crossbody Bag. Oh, those are supposed to be really good. Uh, that I use when traveling. I put all my reservation info, two pages per day, one planned on, <laughs> one actual, and then draw out basic maps, things to see, hours, restaurants broken down by parts of town, days of trip. Made one for a trip to San Francisco and worked great. So working on a trip to Italy book. Oh, interesting. Uh, that's uh, very fascinating. And I think probably very useful for places where you can get that information in advance. Yes. Yeah. One of the downsides to our trip is I would have loved to do something like this. But a lot of the resources that we have for places like San Francisco or Italy or England or Dublin or whatever don't exist for the places we were going. Yeah, a lot of the, it was all, we need something to eat, mm -hmm. so we would wander around frequently at much greater length than I was wanted to wander yeah, around general, while I was hungry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we would find a meat-on-a-stick place. And yep. uh, these are, I mean, maybe on the Tibetan internet, 
they have listings, but they, you know, no English, no nothing. You you basically just grabbed your skewers and looked hopeful, and they would get out a calculator and put the number in and show it to you to pay, kind of thing. Yeah. We uh, one thing I will say, we did remarkably well with Google Translate. We um, did. We did. We did not have an interpreter for large chunks of the trip, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, we had arranged for one, but she had uh, had other things come up, so. We did a lot with Google Translate, and there were some serious snags, like <laughs> when uh, we were trying to work out the restroom situation, and our uh, the rum and the, the gentleman using it wrote bathroom, which is basically an American colloquialism, and they thought we wanted to take a bath. And they were yeah. like, we, we don't take baths. Yeah, we bath, just, bad. Yeah, we, bad. this is not yeah. really a thing that... there <laughs> And... He was trying to figure out where the hell we could go to pee, and yeah, it was it was uh, that took a while. I I, I will say, well. yeah, working with the phrase book to explain like the different explain some of the words to the the one member of the family. We were talking about medical terms, and the term was diarrhea, and we're having to pantomime this. So I'm like. That Do one it. was an easy pantomime. Yeah, I, I did a walking motion and pointed towards the bathroom and then squatted and grunted and then made the walking motion point, squat and grunt, point, squat and grunt. He's like, oh, yeah, that one was, was a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you have the resources and are able to do something like this, or at least, you know, print out uh, handy maps and things like that, that is really uh, valuable. And I know Moleskine also makes some notebooks that are, that have like city maps for for larger cities, right? Uh, I know there's like one for New York and one for London. I think there might be one for Rome. It's been a while since I've looked. Um, also, uh, on the Bagolini, good brand. Um, mm-hmm. I actually used Travel On for my backpack for this thing, and I really like it. It's one of those mm-hmm. where you keep finding new pockets. <laughs> like suddenly you unzip a thing, and there's a whole new pocket there. And you're like, where's this pen? And you know you haven't opened it. It's still got the desiccant pack in it. And you're right, like, what the hell? Right. Yeah, no, I used a um, Osprey. What is that? That's an Osprey Traveler? No, Traveler's the big luggage. Um, this is an Osprey. Oh, it says on it somewhere. Um, Farpoint, the Farpoint 40 liter, because my other Osprey backpack was too big for the flights. This is travel backpacks mm-hmm. and things like that are one thing where it is definitely worth spending the money. The only problem is that there are a lot of places where you can spend the money and not get the, uh, right. the thing. Bagolini, right. Travel On, Osprey, generally all very good. Very choices. good, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Star. Uh, Rachel. Different Rachel, I believe. Um, this is talking about episode 92 with V. Medina. I love this episode, especially the discussion about not letting disability or perceived inability get in the way of doing cool shit. Uh, one of the most eye-opening, so to speak, parts of my career training was visiting the state school for the blind. They have a wood shop with saws and pointy things. I was incredibly impressed. V, I am so glad your school facilitated such cool experiences for you. V was a great, uh, just a fantastic discussion, and the things V is doing are just amazing. So it, it was that was a really uh, good one. Thank you, Rachel. 
Uh, episode 93. Uh, this is a comment from Corey, our friend Corey, who has been on the show uh, at least once. Um, hi, Kevin and Ursula. I hope you all enjoyed your trip around China and Tibet, and I can't wait to hear all about it on one of the podcasts. Well, you've already heard part of it. And when we do KUEC, mm -hmm. I will dwell on the bathrooms at great Oh, God, yeah. Loving detail. Um, uh, Kevin, I don't know if you realize, but Augusta is the third academic librarian you've interviewed. And all three of us have ADHD, and we all use different ways of staying organized. I found that connection quite interesting. I didn't even notice that that was, that was going on. Yeah. Uh, not to sound like Granted, a Granted, you live with me, you probably just expect everyone has ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, not to sound like a jerk, but I never brought up my diagnosis when I was interviewed because I've learned to live with it and don't think about it too much anymore. I was medicated when I was a kid, but that's a story for another time. Lots of red flags and ranting. Uh, you know, yes. yeah, Corey, you know, you're welcome back again. Anytime. Um, I felt for Ernie when he started whining. My parents pocket beagle does that. And my heart went out to Ernie. Ernie is not a pocket anything. No. <laughs> but when when he feels it, he needs to take care of something or he, he feels it is time for something, he is a whiner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in regards to the salary issue and the discount or the disconnect about means and ranges, honey, you're preaching to the choir. I teach a career exploration class for our first year experienced students, and I emphasize what a salary mean is and what a salary range is. Glad you're back safe and sound, Corey. Thank you, Corey. This one came in uh, about a couple days before we got back. So uh, thank you for predicting our self-return, Corey. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, I, and I love interviewing librarians because while there's sort of a framework around how libraries run, all of them have their quirks. Right, all of them have sort of different little ways of fine-tuning that same system. I mean, all the indexes are basically the same, or computerized, or the old card catalogs, or whatever. I mean, it's standardized, so you go into any library, you can find things, right? Theoretically, yes. Theoretically, but how the individual librarians work around that with their own things is just uh, amazing to me. You would think, oh, no, it's a library. Well, as we, we learned on another podcast, you always think, oh, librarians, they're always so staid and whatever. Oh, no, no, no. There's, no, 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 there's no. all kinds of... Don't ever go drinking with librarians. Oh, Lord. No. Uh, well, I mean, if you don't mind being put under the table. <laughs> repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things as a children's book author is that you go to library events, and uh, whenever I go to it, Texas and Oklahoma are the two. Montana also pretty fierce. Ooh, yeah, hmm. they uh, it's basically. But Texas, you roll in, and they're like, "Here's a margarita," and I'm like, "Ooh, a margarita!" And then an hour passes, and I'm weeping gently on the floor, going, "How are any of you alive?" <laughs> and you've had like four, and didn't realize it. <laughs> well, yeah, they just kept. Handing, handing them, yeah. I'm yeah. like, how how are you doing this? They're like, honey, we're librarians in Texas. <laughs> it's it's like we have, yeah, we have livers of iron. We we have to self medicate. Uh, it was the librarians conference in uh, Oklahoma with the pub crawl, where we're sitting there in the in the signing line. These two very sweet little old ladies come up and say, "Are with you hats with big flowers on?" Them. Yes, and they are they are school librarians. And they says, "Are you going on the pub crawl with us later?" And I said, I am now, because 
when oh, you, you... two little old ladies with flowers on their hats ask if you're going on a pub crawl, you say yes. And the hangover we both had the next day. They rented a party bus. It was, it would, yeah. And okay. every, every bar had a specialty drink that we all had to have because it was prepaid. And I think somewhere around the fourth or fifth stop, I'm like, how do they do this? I'm a die. It um, was, it was a heck of a, heck of an adventure. Yes. We came home with a stuffed antelope head. We did. Anyway, anyway. next letter. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you, Corey. And, uh, hold on. Let me double check something. I think we talked to Corey in between now and the end of, uh, and, and the end of year two. I, uh, bu- 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 oh, it's Alicia Day that I've got to uh, catch up with. But Corey, you're, you're welcome to come back on if, if there are things have changed and you want to talk about stuff. If you want to rant about your ADHD diagnosis, uh, you know, uh, that's what we're here we for. We are here for it. Yeah. All right. Uh, from Patricia, uh, on my interview with Emily Kohler Platten. Uh, oh my God, this is such a cool interview. To be honest, it sounds like a dream job. Uh, Emily works with, um, a museum and small children. Um, I'm, I'm glad there are people who think that's a dream job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. I'm also amused at dealing with eight year olds because having worked part time as a day camp assistant before, yes, that happens. Um, Thanks for the reassurance that even though you spent quite some time in Japan but never quite picked up the language, had similar experience locally, and trying to master learn a language that's different from your original tongue is hard. I gotta say, and we've seen that. There there are people who are good at languages, mm-hmm. and uh, we traveled with one of them who was, was working on as best he could. And then, uh, I don't know if it's... A lot of it may be uh, auditory processing. Mm-hmm. And, which is something I'm bad at. I am frankly crap at languages. I took four years of Japanese, retained none of it. I pick up nothing. Uh, I can grimly teach myself the, you know, please, thank you, hello kind of things, but it's really hard. It just, it's yeah. some, it does not stick. There is something that is just not there. And, like, I mangled thank you a lot, and I kept looking, somebody say it again to me so I know mm-hmm. what the hell I'm saying. I, I never picked it up in Tibetan, but uh, for a little bit after we returned to the States, as I was, like, buying something at the airport, I was finding myself going, she, she. Yeah. You know, you, which, you, yeah. That one, that one sticks, usually, the thank you. But, the thank uh, you. I remember none of the Setswana from Botswana. No, it's... Yeah. And and we travel with someone who I'm sure remembers all of it. It's yeah. I, people's brains are wired the way they're wired, and I feel like a terrible person because I can't. It's like I swear to God, it's not that I don't respect your culture or believe you should speak English. I just it, it goes in and then it doesn't stay. You know, it's it's interesting. I wonder if there's a correlation between knowing programming languages and knowing like oral human languages as it were it one way or the other because i can learn or at least pick up enough of a programming language to be dangerous or at least know when i need to look something up i can't seem to do it with with languages that are are 
you know, I'm going to say human generated, but that's not what, what I mean. Uh, uh, I you know, don't spoken know. languages, right? Written I mean, languages. I can learn enough HTML to be dangerous and right. enough, uh, what was it, baby's first Python? Yeah. Or NPN, but, and the, it, in not really my defense, I, this probably reflects more poorly on I me mean, than anything else. I knew going to China, mm-hmm. I had no hope because it's a tone language mm-hmm. and I am tone deaf. Yes, you are. So I, there's just, I was like, I am going to point my way through this one. Some other places I could probably, I can pick up a few phrases. I, France, I learned a couple, but I can't. There was one frustrating moment when we're all sitting in the van and our driver is shouting, La, 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 and he meant a deer, but La is also the term for, like, eagle and a couple other things, right. but except that it's... The tone. Except the A is different, it's like La, or I don't know, I couldn't hear the difference, like, there right. was nothing there. And finally, he's just pointing, and we're like, oh, wow, that's an alpine musk deer, one of the rarest amulets on Earth. That's amazing. Yeah. But, uh, I have yeah. photos. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. They have fangs. They do. Uh, and it's, it's yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, because I, I don't have an ear or an eye for that sort of language, but you put me in front of a computer where it's all procedural, and maybe it's just that uh, there's something in me that these are very specific instructions versus these have all the nuances. English is the only spoken language, written language, that I've ever been able to master, and I'm not really good at it. (laughs) You're much better at it than I am. Well, it's my job. Yeah. I don't know. It's, anyway. I, I think, I, and part of it, you know, they have done all those things. And if you're exposed to other languages under the age of whatever, you grow an extra part of your neocortex or something, which would make more sense, except that I was exposed to a bunch of languages when I was young and you know, for all the good it did me. But you, you never learned to talk them though. No. No. Is that the same part, the same general region of the brain that they just found out that? If you're a kid who plays Pokemon, you develop a section of your brain and neurons devoted exclusively to Pokemon? I don't think so. Oh, well. <laughs> Some days it seems like it's its own language. What, Pokemon? Yeah. Uh, at least one friend of ours was, uh, I think, in Germany and playing Pokemon Go, and a German guy came up and spoke no English, he spoke no German, and they were bonding over, you know, the Pokemon he had just caught, and he was very excited and wanted yeah. to tell someone. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, uh, and then Cory Large, yay. Um, if you wait to read this comment until the June letter show, I'll understand. Nope, you get it now, Corey. Um, in regards to the Pretty Bujo bullet journal anxiety, please know that the creator, Ryder Carroll, is on y'all's side. This is in relation to episode 94 with Anna James. Um, he's all about functional, not the pretty. I'm sorry the cultish mindset and pretty planning has made you and Anne feel negatively about your Bujo. One last thing, we need Ursula's sound bites of It's a Cult, Tool and woo. Um, Tool. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, on that episode from Patricia, uh, OMG, yes, trips. It's actually the trips app, the Google ah. trips app. It's actually pretty great even when visiting familiar places because sometimes they'll show you something you didn't expect nearby. In Singapore, it took me and my mom to places we wouldn't have visited otherwise. Uh, my friend and I have actually used Pinterest to share cute things we found on the internet to cheer each other up. I actually have a board in her name that's all cute animals, and it's 
skewed the algorithm in such a lovely way. Also, thanks for sharing about the Take This Challenge on Habitica. I love the Take This Challenges on Habitica. I'm not doing it this year, but I, I did it my first year on Habitica, and it was really nice. Um, Maze is about decluttering, and damn, do I need this. Small increments. Yes, small increments is the way to go. Uh, if you're still looking for tribute, I'd like to volunteer as a writer who adapts other people's systems and platforms instead of my own, especially when it comes to work. Patricia, I'm going to send you an email very soon. Um because it's time to, I have to start planning out the next hundred episodes. Oh, really weird. Um, so, uh, those are all our letters. Woo! Woo! Tell me that I don't need to take up an entirely new style of art and start a major huge project like you, a webcomic or something. No, you do not need to do this. You you have enough projects to finish. You need I to have finish. deadlines. That's why I want to do it. Uh, well, yes, of course. And... This is this is usually about the time where you're like, I'm going to do edits, and you start throwing things at Nameless Sheep. It's true. I was thinking about Nameless Sheep. You know, and hey, a couple panels of Nameless Sheep, which is a, as you update, as you feel like it, in between edits is not bad. Taking a mental break from the hard task to do something fun or to give your brain a little bit of break from all those edits or paragraphs and paragraphs of writing is perfectly okay. I am sort of figuring out how to do a tech... It's a combination of like a technical challenge because I don't know how to do this particular style and I would kind of like to. And also if I could get it to work, then it would make doing the backgrounds for comics much easier. So that's the problem. It's like a technical challenge married to a solution. So it's a challenge you actually have. No, it's not a challenge I have. It's a challenge I could have. You could have. Yes. Because you told me if you ever decide to start a long-running, regularly updated webcomic I never again, said it would be long-running or regularly updated. <laughs> epic. An epic story. Nameless Sheep is kind of epic. Yes, but Nameless Sheep is not on a regular update schedule. That's true. I'm not. No, no one is suggesting regular updates. Okay. Well, you know what? If if that's what makes your brain happy and makes you more productive on other projects, then you know what? Who am I to judge? I, it's all about what makes you productive versus my judgment. Right, everybody's different, and I think we've shown that here. Everybody's different. Everybody sort of has their own systems and, and quirks. And if this is what it takes for you to get through your edits and finish those books, all right. Way to pull the rug out from under me, dude. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and speaking of of pulling rug, no, that doesn't work at all. Anyway, we'll be right back after this. Letters, monthly letters folder is empty once more, and I look forward to your comments. 
and questions and whatnot for our monthly letters show. Uh, every, every month, I'm very excited about it. So, you know, comment on an episode, send me an email at kevin at sunny.com, S-O-N-N-E-Y.com. Or, you know, yell at me on Twitter. Sometimes yelling on me on Twitter is a faster way to get things done. Anyway, thank you, Deborah, Star, Rachel, Corey, and Patricia. Patricia, um, yes, I will try to send an email about scheduling an interview with you in the next couple hours, because otherwise I'm going to forget, and I've got a couple more that came in uh, just before we left that I was like, yeah, okay, guys, I would love to schedule this interview with you, but you know what? I don't have the brain power right now, and we'll talk about it when I get back from China. So we're back from China, and... I want to thank everybody who uh, kept up with the show while we were gone. I want to thank all of my guests uh, who made it possible for us to have the show continue while we were in the in, in Western Tibet. It was a hell of a thing. It really was. Um, so anyway, thank you to everyone for listening. If you want the badge for this episode, that's right. We still give out Mozilla Open Badges because I am just... That kind of guy, our badge code this time is Tibet, and so I, I think that's unique. Let me, I should check that before I, before I publish this. But uh, anyway, Tibet is the badge code, and we'll run with that, or I'll be re-recording this segment in like five minutes when I go to create the badge. If you wish to support us on something other than you know, just by listening. And I really do appreciate people who listen and comment and send me stuff on, on Twitter. Um, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ursula V that pays for all of the podcasts, all three that are currently running uh, hidden almanac, which is starting back up very soon. Uh, Kevin and Ursula eat cheap, which is, slowly destroying us so i don't know how much longer we're going to have that one going on and of course productivity alchemy which is this podcast you're listening to right now if you want to support me buy me coffee i am drinking coffee right now coffee is what keeps me going i i think it's coffee and nicotine really i you know between my my vape and and the coffee i, I and and i know i know about the vape and the nicotine and all that stuff so yeah anyway um Tell them about the Red Bull in China. Oh, yeah, the Red Bull in China. Let me finish the coffee plug first. So you can support me on coffee. You can buy me a cup of coffee or, or set a recurring donation on coffee, ko-fi.com slash K-S-O-N-N-E-Y. I appreciate it, and you get a special badge code to say you bought me a coffee. So before I go... And before I tell you that uh, the, the usual sign-off... One of the things we discovered is that energy drinks in China are very different. Hardcore. Hardcore. Yeah, and my, Ursula's microphone is off, so you're you're just getting the sort of the blowback here. Unless you want me to turn the microphone no, no, back. It's okay. Fine. Uh, anyway, uh, so we're looking at Red Bull, and first off, everybody who drank the Red Bull in China was like, "This tastes so much better than Red Bull in the states." And then they looked at the ingredients list, and like the primary active ingredient in it is nicotine. So we were like, uh, and then our friend Bala, who never smoked any of none of that stuff, had one 
like for breakfast one day and she's like i am so ready for today i have already repacked my luggage more efficiently four times and she was just raring to go and the inevitable crash was was something spectacular the other one was monster energy drink which and i'm sure it was a translation error it probably didn't have methamphetamine. Yeah, no, it, it said the, the ingredients... Amphetamines, not yeah, methamphetamines. The, the, the ingredients list said amphetamines, lithium. So it had both amphetamines. So it was like, here's the one that's going to give you all the energy, and here's the one that's just going to smooth you right out. And I, we're just like, on the one hand, if we could get the flavors that good in the States, on the other hand, there's no way these will get FDA approval. No, our hearts would explode. The other thing, um, there, go write your book. Woo. Um, is there's a brand of, of Nestle, uh, smooth latte. Yes. Smooth with a V latte that I haven't seen in the States yet. That's absolutely delicious. It'll probably have high fructose corn syrup here, but it wasn't too sweet. It wasn't overly sweet and it had some great flavors. I really enjoyed it. I have no idea where I'm going to get it. Uh, it's one of several things that over time I'm going to be yelling about because it's like, why can't I get this in the States? I still miss the one type of fizzy water that is manufactured in South Africa and, and no one ships to the States that we had in, in 2014 when we went to Africa. So anyway, that's that's it for this week. A little shorter episode. We're still recovering and uh just glad you're listening thank you all for all your support make sure you share and like and all that stuff on the social send me an email like i talked about um and share with your friends and more importantly guys stay productive oh i have to do it because she's not here woo